1: had finished saying all these things he said to his disciples you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and they conspired to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him but they but they it's a really oh said not during, <laughs> But they said, not during the festival, or they may be, there may be a riot among the people. Now, while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, Why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold... For a large sum, and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. By pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then one of the twelve who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we have worked our way through Holy Monday and Holy Tuesday. And today we find ourselves in Holy Wednesday. Despite being just five feet two inches, Alison Hargreaves was hailed as one of the finest climbers in the world. At 26 years old, she successfully scaled the formidable north side of the Eager in Switzerland. Afterwards, some criticized her for climbing while six months pregnant with her first child. And her explanation was... I was pregnant, not sick. Five years later, she was the first person to climb by herself, and in one season, the six north faces of the Alps. Two years later, in 1995, when she was 33, she set out to climb the world's three highest mountains in one summer. She made history as the first woman and only the second person ever to reach the summit of Mount Everest without porters, which are your climbing partners, or supplementary oxygen. Not long after that, she conquered Pakistan's fearsome K2, but during the descent from the summit of K2, she and her five companions were lost in a blizzard. They never made it down. So when her husband was given the news, he was silent and he said, I can hear her repeating... Her favorite saying, one day as a tiger, is better than a thousand years as a sheep. Alison Hargreaves mixed an incredible will and an astonishing thirst for climbing and an astonishing thirst for danger and a commitment to detail and technique and a raging passion for the danger of the mountains. And now not all of us are quite like her. I'm not at all like her. In fact, as we were planning the Compromand, uh <laughs> retreat a couple weeks ago, Alyssa suggested to me that we go camping. An overnight camping expedition um, is enough to send me scurrying into air conditioning and I really like dishwashers and I like blow dryers and you know the kind of things that soften the outdoors. Not all of us are like Allison. I believe Jesus, though, enjoys the Allison Hargreaves of this world. And his encounter with the woman in Bethany tells us why. While all the Gospels agree that this woman came from Bethany, not all agree on whose home she was entering. Matthew's Gospel says she was entering Simon the leper, but John's Gospel says it was Lazarus and Martha's home. In John's gospel, Jesus is sitting down to dinner with Lazarus and Martha and a bunch of friends. And the woman, named here as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, takes a full pint of exquisite perfume and pours it over Jesus' feet. I don't know if you've ever found yourself the day before Christmas Eve without a present for a loved one. And quite likely you are terrified Of going up to the perfume counter (laughs) because you think that they're going to try to sell you a whole lot of other things too. They always do because they're all in these little bags with the lipstick and the the foundation and the perfume and then you don't understand why all the different sizes and why all the different shaped bottles and so this is what you do when you come to the counter. You treat it like an old-fashioned vegetable stand shopping and say, I will take a whole pint of that, please. It makes zero sense. A pint is an astronomical amount of perfume. There are no pints on any shelves in Macy's. Our old brother Judas Iscariot happens to be lurking around the corner keeping an eye on what's happening here at this home. Clearly, he's got a better sense of the market price of perfume than the average disciple does. And he takes one look at it, and he reckons it's worth 300 denarii. Let's do a little bit of math. A denarius was an average daily wage. If the average household income in Virginia today is around $50,000, then we're saying the perfume Mary poured over Jesus' feet that night was worth the equivalent of $40,000. $40,000 worth of perfume. I don't care what your, your bailout package or stimulus plan is for the local ointment trade. That's an unbelievable amount of money. You've got to have a bit of sympathy for Judas now. That's an outrageous sum of money. Feel the eyes of the whole room, first of all, on this woman. Watch everyone's eyeballs popping out of their head as they see a bottle, a pint of perfume, with a bottle with a pint of scent in it. Don't drop that. Watch what you're doing with that, is what people would be saying. Take it easy. Hold on. What are you doing? What are you doing with that? There's the sheer mesmeric fa- fascination of seeing $40,000 of liquid wrapped up in such a fragile container held by such delicate hands where on earth did Mary get the money to buy such a massive quantity of perfume is is this her and her brother and her sister's retirement savings all thrown into one precarious investment and then, then what's this She's now kneeling at Jesus' feet. Now you don't even know where to look. Women don't touch men in this culture. They certainly don't touch a man's foot because everyone knows a foot is <laughs> might as well be politely what we call an upper inner thigh. In fact, the prophets would, would often use the word feet to replace genitals. This is a disgraceful public performance. This is dangerous. And now she's, now she's picking up this bottle of perfume and she's pouring it over Jesus's feet. What a terrible waste and what a dangerous move. Making erotic gestures in front of everyone is one thing, but squandering a huge sum of money is quite something else altogether. I can't believe she just poured $40,000 all over the floor And now she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. What a dangerous, a dangerous thing to do. She seems to have no shame about this flagrant indecency, no awareness of public disgrace, and no worries whatsoever about the criminal, almost criminal waste of money. In Matthew's gospel, it says the disciples were now indignant. But in John's gospel, it speaks specifically of Judas. Why was this perfume, Judas asks, not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Whatever his personal motives, you miss the force of the story unless you recognize that Judas has a very important point. It's not just that this is a lot of money and it could benefit a lot of people. It's that the Jerusalem temple as well as being the key place where Jews could find their, their sins forgiven and be close to God's heart, was also the center of a bureaucracy that managed welfare on behalf of the poor. So Judas isn't just being mean or greedy. He's saying, we already have a system for managing welfare, and this woman has just driven her coach and horses through it in a disgraceful insulting and dangerous manner what on earth does she think she's doing and what on earth do you think you're doing letting her do this jesus judas offers us the voice of common sense and decency and public order Don't waste precious money and resources. Don't step too close to the boundaries of proper relationships between the sexes. Don't bypass the very carefully thought out systems for providing welfare benefits to the truly poor. Who are we to to disagree with Judas? He has all the vocabulary that makes our lives function. He talks about stewardship and policies and procedures and bylaws and strategic plans, and yet he can't see the one thing that's staring him in the face. He can't see the one thing that only Mary sees, that Jesus is going to die in less than three days. There may, of course, be good reasons why Judas isn't prepared to see that, elbows deep in Jesus's entrapment. But the point is, besides Mary, no one else is seeing it. And now finally, we're in a position to make sense of this whole scene for ourselves. I wonder wonder if you've ever been in a community or in a relationship where everyone else or the one person that mattered is so preoccupied so taken up with themselves or the usual way of doing things or a bunch of trivial and superficial politeness that you felt like taking all your clothes off and just screaming at the top of your your lungs and doing something really crazy and dangerous to get their attention, to have them wake up. That's pretty much what Mary is doing. And even when she does, still no one pays the slightest bit of attention to her. All that happens is Judas points out that she's totally out of order. And Jesus says, but don't you see? She's behaving like me. She's demonstrating the extravagance, the dangerous extravagance of love. She's poured out her whole self, financial, social, emotional, to gain your attention by a gesture of sheer beauty. I'm demonstrating the extravagance of divine love. I'm pouring out my whole self, physical, spiritual, metaphysical, to gain your attention by a gesture of sheer beauty. I am the extravagance of God. I am that dangerous extravagance of God. And if you're, if you're taking no notice of her, then how much worse that you're taking no notice of me. Jesus is God flinging off all of the clothes and doing that most crazy, dangerous, wild thing to get our attention and to point us to what really matters. Jesus is God kicking and screaming to try to stir our attention away from the trivial and greedy distractions that suffocate our lives. Jesus is God wasting the most precious and beautiful thing he has to show us that he is utterly devoted to us. The life of Jesus is worth a lot more than 300 denarii or $40,000, and it's a total waste unless it wins us back to God. And that leaves us with two uncomfortable and very necessary questions. And we could call them maybe the Judas question and the Mary question. The Judas question, what is the thing you are not able or willing to see? What is God trying to show you? I wonder if you're so taken up with routines and distractions and defenses that you can't see the thing, the one thing God is trying to show you. I wonder if somehow all your policies and procedures and plans and programs are in the end forms of avoidance of seeing the one thing that matters. And then the Mary question, what is the beautiful thing God is calling you into? I wonder if there is something you are drawn to but shy away from maybe because it seems too costly, too extravagant, too too crazy, too ridiculous, too dangerous. I wonder if there is a gesture you need to make because like Mary's gesture, it's time for you to make a little fuss and to get someone's attention. Maybe for once in your life to imitate the extravagance of God. Judas and Mary and Jesus all wasted their lives in different ways. The point is, have you wasted your life in caution or in love? When people see the waste of your life, does it make them think of Judas or does it make them think of Jesus? Some years ago when I was serving a church in North Carolina, there was a woman who was um, in her late 50s and was just for the first time learning to read. She'd grown up in a children's home and the good things in life, the, the education was one of them, came late to her. She worked at a local hospital, taking meals to wards on a cart, and at 40, she married this wonderful man, and her mother-in-law became the mother she had never had growing up, and so her mother-in-law's death was a terrible, terrible blow to her. And so she told me, Michelle, I spoke to my supervisor at the hospital, and I told her the situation, and I asked her, for a couple of weeks, passionate leave I looked at her and I wasn't really sure whether to laugh or to cry. A couple said, "Passionate leave, okay?" The idea of a of a couple weeks passionate leave, passionate leave, um, with this particular wonderful woman, <laughs> was a bit of making my imagination run wild. <laughs> and of course, she of course she meant to say compassionate leave, but she was as beautiful and maybe as right as Mary. And I was, the, I was as stupid and as wrong as Judas in that moment. A couple of weeks of passionate leave was just what she needed to, to recognize all that love she'd poured out for the mother she had never had. It's four weeks until Easter. It's the time we know in the church as passion Tide. I wonder, I wonder if it's time you asked for a couple of weeks of passionately, a couple of weeks to reflect on Judas's question, what's the thing I'm desperately trying all my busyness and all of my politeness and all my DC professionalism to not see? Maybe you need a couple of weeks of passionate leave to reflect on Mary's question. What's the beautiful thing I'm being called to do? Embarrassing, extravagant, dangerous as it may be. Allison Hargreaves showed us the face of God because she knew her passion. She knew the danger her passion might put her in. But like a tiger, she let the passion lead her life and that's what God does. I wonder if you have a passion like that, because God does. It's you. As the band comes forward, let us prepare our hearts and minds for prayer today. Maybe get your bodies in a place, like rearrange yourself in your chair, and get ready to pray. before you as people whose hearts have strayed, people who, like Judas, have become bogged down in the expectations and performances of life, so much so that we can't see the one thing that we are to see. People who, like Mary, are broken and sometimes feel like we could just give it all away, and yet scared of doing the the costly thing, the dangerous thing, and pouring it out. We remember people this week, God, who are in the middle of, of the US in devastation, people in Mozambique in devastation. We still remember our friends in in Christchurch, and our hearts unite with those who who gathered around mosque to do the dangerous thing and defend, defend the creation of holy spaces mere four weeks God from Easter tells us that we are three and a half weeks from your passion where the danger of this world led to the dangerous (coughs) recklessness of your love for us so that no matter what we put ourselves in no matter all that we can't see no matter all that we avoid you cover us you stand in the gap for us However we narrate what you did on the cross Jesus we know we could not do it for ourselves and so we begin to walk with you down that Via Dolorosa. We carry our cross as you carry yours. We take your cross when you can't and we put to death those things inside of us that keep us from seeing the thing that really matters. We join together in that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray Lay it all down. Lay it all down.
0: When the cares have buried you and there's nothing left to do, lay it all down. Lay it all down. Of Jesus carried on, but your heart was tired, fear the Your doubts became your God. Lay it all down. Lay it all.